Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open your Bibles to Exodus 5, 6, and 7. Three chapters uh, this morning. Um, please do not be afraid. We're not going to cover all of those three chapters, but I, I think it'll be clear why I did it that way here in just a little bit. Um, Exodus 5, 6, and 7. And, and so how I'm going to handle this is uh, we're going to read a portion of each of those. All right, I've kind of got purposeful why I want those sections and then we'll jump into the text. If you have trouble standing, just stay seated. Uh, many of you like to stand when we read the scripture, and so if you do, then you can stand now. Uh, that's completely up to you, but I'm going to begin reading in chapter 5, okay? And I'm going to start in verse 1, and then you just follow me, okay? You just follow me, all right? Here we go. Exodus 5, beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. All right, now jump forward to verse 19, okay? He says more about how he's going to oppress them and make them make bricks, and they go tell the Israelites. And Verse 19, the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. When they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met with Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. And they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why? Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Now, go right into chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they have lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard their groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. 
I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from the slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let my people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh the king of Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. All right, now, just a few verses in chapter 7. I'm going to begin in verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Let's stop right there. Father, I ask you to be with us as we walk through this passage. God, give us understanding into this text. God, open our minds to see your glory, to see your truth. God, help us to be obedient to what you show us today. Father, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to be present with us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, so, um, all right, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit of context again. I know I've done that each week, but uh, let me, I, I just want to make sure you, this isn't like some story that you're like, I don't know what happened before this. I don't know what happened after this. Where does it, okay, so I, I, I want to give you some context, all right? So, Bible opens up, page one, God creates the universe, right? And it's good. Like, it's perfect. Like, there's harmony between God and all of his creation, including man, whom he created in his own image, right? But sin enters the world through unbelief. Adam and Eve don't trust God. They don't trust his plan. They don't trust his rules. They don't trust his commands. They sin against God, and everything breaks. And it breaks so severely that by Genesis chapter 6, God must send a worldwide flood to wipe out the inhabitants of the earth and to start over again with Noah and his family, okay? But not long after that, in Genesis 12, God launches his rescue plan, okay? And he, and he appears to a man named Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm gonna promise you some things. I'm gonna promise you that you're gonna have a son and that that son's gonna have a family and that that family is gonna turn into a nation and that nation, I'm gonna give them a land and from that nation, in that land, I am going to bring forth somebody from your family. And that somebody is going to save the world. That somebody is going to be a champion, a hero, a savior, a redeemer, a Christ, a Messiah. Okay? Well, God starts fulfilling his promises. Abraham has a son in his old age. That son, Isaac, has a son, Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. And those 12 sons become what we would know now as the 12 tribes of Israel. There's a great famine in the land, but God has already been working uh, Joseph was the second and youngest son, and his brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery. And, and God prepares for Israel to be saved by bringing them to Egypt, and Joseph welcomes them in, 
and preserves them during a great famine. They live in Egypt now, 70 persons in all. But there's a Pharaoh that comes to the throne that doesn't know Joseph. Joseph dies, and he enslaves the nation of Israel. He enslaves them for 400 years. Now, they, they weren't idle during that time. They were obeying the first command of the Bible that says, be fruitful and multiply, right? So 70 people turn into millions, okay, of people in the nation of, of, of Egypt, okay? And now God is ready to deliver his people, his nation, out of Egypt and to take them to the promised land and to plant them there and to make them his people. And he's going to do that through a man named Moses. We learned about him a couple weeks ago. God reveals to Moses, uh, reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush, reveals his name, reveals who he is, and calls Moses to go to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, if you've been here the last couple weeks, Moses does not like the job description, okay? Uh, he, he doesn't want to do it, all right? He, he does not want to do what God has commanded him to do. And so chapters 3 and 4, really, Moses' excuses, right? In chapter 311, he's like, who am I? Who am, who am I? Why would you pick me to go to Egypt and, and say, tell this to Pharaoh? Like, who am I to do that? In chapter 3, verse 13, he says, I don't even know your name. God, I don't know who you are. If I go to Egypt and say, the Lord says, let my people go, they're going to ask, who's the Lord? And I'm not going to know what to tell them. In, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, look, God, they won't believe me. They won't listen to me. They'll say, the Lord didn't really appear to you. You're making this up. In chapter 4, verse 10, he says, God, I can't because I'm not a good speaker. I'm not eloquent. I, 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 I can't speak in front of people. I, I, I can't do this. I don't have the gifts. In chapter 4, verse 13, he finally just comes right out and says, God, please send somebody else. I, I don't want to do this. So chapter 3 and chapter 4, all of Moses' excuses. Well, finally... After God revealing himself again and again to Moses, commanding him again and again to go, finally Moses is obedient. I feel like we ought to give him a little round of applause, right? Like, like well, finally, okay? Finally, now some of you have a little Moses in you, right? It takes you a while to be obedient to God. But finally, he's obedient to God. Yay, Moses. He goes to Egypt, chapter 1. Uh, or, or chapter 5, verse 1, he goes to Egypt. Uh, verse 1, he says, thus says the Lord, okay? You, you know what he's doing? He's giving God's message, all right? It's really the same thing that you and I are called to do, okay? Uh, well, I'm not, we're not called to go to Egypt, at least I don't think so, and, and talk to a pharaoh. I don't know that there is a pharaoh these days, all right? But what are we called to do? We're called to tell people what God said, right? That's the, that's the commission on us. The Bible tells us, Jesus told us, you're going to be my witnesses. If you're joined to me, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, then you're going to be my witness. What does a witness do? Many of you have been to a court trial, right? What does a witness do? A witness gets up there. And he tells what he knows, right? He, he, he tells what happened, all right? You and I are supposed to be just like Moses. We're supposed to say, thus says the Lord. Here's what God has said. Here's what he said about Jesus. Here's what he said about Jesus' perfect life and his death on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension into glory. This is what God has said about how you can be connected to Jesus through repentance and through faith. This is what God has said, right? We're supposed to say, Here's what God has said. Here's what he's done. Here's what he's promised. Okay, that's exactly what Moses is doing. Verse 1, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Finally, Moses obeys. And it goes terrible. Were you guys expecting that? It goes terrible. Like, like all the things that Moses was afraid of, they, they happen. 
Like, it's terrible. Pharaoh laughs at him. Who's the Lord? I don't know this Lord you're talking about. Why in the world would I obey him? I am not going to let the children of Israel go. No, that's a big no. I'm not giving away my labor force. Absolutely not. And not only that, but you hacked me off by coming in here. And so now what I'm going to do, y'all must be too idle if you got time to come in here and, and, and tell me to let you go. So I'm going to make your work harder. You used to have a quota of bricks you had to make each day. Well, now you're not getting straw. You're going to have to go collect your own materials, but I'm going to demand the same amount of work. And if you don't make the same amount of work, I'm going to beat you. Okay, that wasn't a success, okay? Uh, Have you ever had those moments where you obeyed the Lord and it didn't go well? Anybody? Anybody ever had that where you felt like, okay, I'm supposed to do this. God wants me to do this. I'm being obedient to God. And man, it, it doesn't go well. Things go from better to worse. Things get worse. And Moses feels like a failure. Now, one of the things I would like for you to explore today is what, what does it mean to be successful in the kingdom of God? Because I think we've got to be real careful about that. Um, sometimes I think we have this in our mind that success in the kingdom of God means, okay, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to obey God, and success is my life gets easier, right? My life gets better. It, everything just comes together, you know? I, I come in after being obedient to God, and my boss says, hey, by the way, I'm doubling your salary. Just felt like doing it today. I don't know, right? Like, like that's the kind of thing we think, okay, is that what success is, okay? Well, you would be hard-pressed to find that in the Bible. I was reading about Abraham. You know, we talked about Abraham, whom God made all those promises to. And in the chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, it starts out talking about how Abraham obeyed God and he was called to go to the promised land. And and he went and his son went and his grandson, Jacob, went. But then look, look in verse 13 of Hebrews 11. It says, these all died in faith, not receiving the things promised, but having seen them from afar and greeted them, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the world. Like, even Abraham had things that God promised him that didn't come true yet. Like, they actually still haven't come true at this point in Exodus. They're about to, okay? They're headed that way. But, but if you have this idea of, 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 of what it means to follow Jesus, that if I obey and, and if I believe, then it all gets easy. Man, I'm telling you, you just, you're going to have a hard time finding that in the Scriptures. I, I would offer to you that success in the Christian life is this. Ready? Two things. Trust and obey. There's a song about that in there. Trust and obey. I, I think that's what success in the Christian life is all about. It, it's about you and me believing the promises of God and stepping out in obedience. Okay? And that looks different than we expect many times. How, how about Joseph? We mentioned Joseph in, in the little introduction. So Joseph, you remember his story in Genesis, he, he has these dreams from God. God shows him these things that are going to happen, and so he tells his family about it. Now, remember how that goes? It's a disaster, right? His brothers are super angry at him. They think he's this pompous, prideful kid, you know, that who are you to have these dreams from God? They're so angry at him that they fake his death and sell him into slavery. They make a few bucks off of him. Man, that didn't go well, right? And so now he's in in Egypt as a slave, okay? And and, and then he's like, well, I'm still going to obey the Lord. So he obeys the Lord, and he's a great employee. And now he's got a woman in the household, his master's wife, who's propositioning him sexually. And, And again, Joseph does the right thing. 
He like resists. He trusts God. He follows his word. He says, absolutely not. He actually has to flee from the woman at one point. How does that go? Well, he ends up getting falsely accused and thrown in prison, okay? In prison. He interprets his dream, right? Like, like, again, if you know Joseph's story, in the end, God exalts him to prime minister and he saves the people. But for a long time, Joseph is trusting and obeying, and it's not going well as far as comfort and ease and, and what you would think of as success. And so, guys, we have to be careful at how we think about our equation of what does it mean to follow Jesus. If your idea of what it means to follow Jesus is, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to obey God, and then everything's going to get easy, man, I'm telling you, you probably will not trust and obey very long, okay? You, you'll do just what Moses did in, at the end of chapter 5. You'll throw a big fit. You ever throw a fit before? Moses, you know, God, why? Why did you even send me? Why did this happen? God, why did you do this, right? Moses, he's like, I told you, I'm the wrong guy. He thinks he's failed. But he hasn't, okay? So hold on. Let's, let's keep going in the story, okay? Now, what is God's response to Moses' big fit here? You know, why'd you send me? Why have you done this? See, I told you it's, it's all a mistake. It shouldn't be me. You know what I love? God never addresses stuff like that. And a lot of times, he doesn't address our tantrums, you know? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't come back and say, well, here's why this happened, and here's why this happened, and here's why. You, you know what God does in chapter 6? I, I, I love this. God just repeats who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. He just repeats it. He's already told Moses numerous times, right? He's already told, but he just, he repeats it. Moses, this is who I am. I reveal my name to you. I reveal my character to you. This is my power. This is my glory. This is what I have done for your grandfather Abraham and, and, your fi- and, and Isaac and Jacob and this is what I will do. Okay, now, I tried to read part of chapter 6 with a dramatic flair, but I never took any drama classes in college or high school, and so I don't think I did a good job. So I'm going to do it again because I don't want you to miss this, okay? So, so I'm, I'm really going to try to emphasize this, all right? So chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, no, let me get it to write. No, 6. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I'm emphasizing now, I will, okay, see that? I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to your possession, for I am the Lord. Now, what's emphasizing that? Yeah, anybody, did I get it that time? Did I nail it, right? I will. What, what does he tell him over and over and over again, right? Moses is like, this was a big failure. This was a big bust. I should have never done it. I, I knew I was the wrong guy for the job. And what does God say? Moses, remember who I am, and remember what I told you I was going to do. I will, I will, I will. I will. All right, great lesson for us there. You you know what you and I need to do over and over and over again in the Christian life? We need to remember who God is, and we need to remind ourselves of what he has promised. How many of you have grabbed on to God's promises this week? I hope you have. I hope you have. I hope you know what God has promised. 
I hope you know what he has said he would do for his people. I hope you, you recall that over and over and over again. You know what that does? That keeps you trusting and obeying. In 2 Peter 1, the Bible tells us that, that the promises of God are like the engine of the Christian life. Like you come back to them again and again, and you're like, okay, God, I know I, this, my life is a mess right now, but I know this is who you are, and I know this is what you told me you're going to do. So I'm going to live according to that, all right? So God reveals himself again to Moses. He reveals, this is what I'm going to do. Moses, you just got to trust me. You have to trust me in this, all right? Now, a couple things that I want you to remember, okay, from this passage, all right? And then we'll get a big thing. Number one, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not God's will, okay? Just because it's hard. Sometimes we have this view of Christianity that, okay, God, I'm going to try something, and it was hard, so I ain't doing it again, okay? Um, that, that is not a good way to look at the Christian life because here's the reality. A lot of things God calls you to do, you're going to have to trust him. Why? Because they're going to be hard. They're going to be hard. Man, when you look at a guy like the Apostle Paul, you know, if, if your idea of Christianity is, okay, I'm going to trust and obey God, and it's just going to be easy, Man, let's listen to Paul's testimony. He's talking about his own life here. I'm going to start reading in 2 Corinthians 11. I'm going to pick up in the middle of the verse. He says, uh, With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, five times I was received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brethren, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And that doesn't sound like a good job description, does it? Okay? Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not God's will. Now, next. Just because you don't see immediate fruit doesn't mean it's not God's will. So a lot of times the struggle is, okay, we, we all know the end of the story. Is God going to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt? Absolutely, right? Like we've, if you've read the story, if you read the Bible, if you remember the story of the Red Sea, I told that to Asher the other night. Like, you know, this deal happens, right? Okay? But, but where Moses is standing, way back here, right? God called him to go to Egypt, said, give him my message. He takes that step of faith. It doesn't go like he thinks it's going to go. He doesn't see immediate fruit, all right? Great verse in the New Testament, Galatians 6, 9, I think captures this point. It says this, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Did you hear that? Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we'll reap if we don't give up. The two verses before it said, don't stop sowing good seeds. Don't stop sowing spiritual seeds. Now, now why, why would we be tempted to give up? Well, when we don't reap right away, right? If you're a farmer, you're probably getting your, your drill out, getting ready to plant some wheat. We're coming up on wheat planting time. And I'm telling you, you will be really disappointed if you plant your wheat, take your drill back home, unhook it from the tractor, have a nice supper, get up the next morning after breakfast, get your combine, start it up, and drive to the field, all right? 
You're going to be disappointed. There's nothing there but dirt, okay? You know why? It's not the right season. Galatians 6, 9 says, in due season. You see, a lot of times, you're taking those steps of obedience, you're taking those steps of faith, and, and it's doing exactly what God has planned on do, it doing. It's just not harvest time yet, guys. It's just not harvest time. And so just because you don't see immediate fruit does not mean it's not God's will. Now, we have a great example in the text today, okay? Moses takes his step of obedience. He trusts God. He goes to Pharaoh. He gives the message. Nothing happens yet. In fact, things get worse. But why is that? All right, let me give you two great reasons of why God does what he does here, okay? So let me remind you of something. In chapter 5, what, what, did Mo, what did Pharaoh say when Moses said, let my people go? Do you remember that? Verse 2, Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? I, I, I don't know this guy. I don't know the Lord. I don't know your God. Who is he? Why should I obey him? Why should I fear him? Okay? So Pharaoh himself said, I'm not going to obey the Lord. I'm not going to fear him. I don't know who he is. All right, guess what's going to happen through God's delay? Okay? See, God's not going to bring his people out right then. He's going to do some other stuff first, okay? What's going to happen? Pharaoh's going to know who God is. By the end of this deal, Pharaoh's going to have a different view of God, all right? I told you that I wanted to read chapter 7. We get a preview of this in chapter 7. In verse 3, he says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, of the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. All right? You see that? Chapter 5, I don't know who the Lord is. Chapter 7, verse 5, the Egyptians are going to know who the Lord is. Okay? Why didn't God just deliver his people right then? Moses goes one time, speaks the message, let my people go. Pharaoh says, there you go. Y'all leave. Why, why didn't he do that? There were things that needed to be done, right? And one of those things are the Egyptians need to know who God is. And so what's God going to do? He's going to multiply signs. How many of you heard of the plagues, okay? That's what happens next here in the Scripture, right? First plague, God turns the Nile River into blood, all right? The Nile was the life force of Egypt. It was the center of their culture, Everything, their, their whole economy flowed around the Nile River, and God turns it to blood. The next uh, plague is frogs. Um, frogs in your soup, frogs in your bedroom, frogs in your dining room, frogs everywhere, okay? For many, the, the stench and the disease that came with the frogs would have been horrific, okay? If my boy Asher would have been there, he would actually probably like that plague, all right? He'd have been the only one, all right? Number three, gnats. Uh, I used to just skip right over this one until we took a mission trip uh, to Mississippi after the Hurricane Katrina and did a bunch of rebuilding down there. I'm telling you, gnats are right out of Hades, okay? Uh, if you were with us on that trip, my daughter actually had to go to the emergency room for gnat bites. How about that? Has that ever happened? Uh, gnats, okay? Plague number four, flies. Plague number five, a plague on the Egyptian livestock. Their livestock died. 
die. Plague number six, boils upon them. Plague number seven, hail as, as they've never seen before or never been after. Okay, at that point, I want you to stop, and, and I want us to read a passage here out of, out of Exodus 9. Okay, during the plague of hail, God says this. Okay, he says in verse um, 16, I believe it is, uh, 15. Let's start reading verse 15. Exodus 9, 15. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. So God says, you know what? I could have delivered my people out in the very beginning. I could have just struck you all down. But I didn't. Why? Read the next verse. Okay? But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. What's God doing with his delay? What's God doing with, with, with not delivering the people out right away? With instead multiplying sign after sign after sign and hardening Pharaoh's heart so that, that they stay in that position where they see glorious sign after glorious sign. You know what he's doing? He's making his name known. After this happened, people know who the Lord is. People in that region, people probably in all the world had heard about the God of the Hebrews, right? God is making his name known. That is his purpose, all right? After that comes the, uh, um, the darkness and then the locusts. And, and let, let me again stop and, and read to you a passage out of chapter 10 during the plague of the locusts. God says in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done, done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Okay, what, what's, what's God say here? He said, man, I, I am multiplying my signs here. You know why? So that you'll tell your son. And you'll tell your grandson. And your grandson, he'll tell his grandson. And all of my people will know who I am. You see that you won't be impressed with the Lord until you see who he is, right? You won't be impressed with the Lord until your eyes are open to see his glory. And so what's he doing here in, in, in Exodus? What's he doing here in delaying bringing the people out? God is showing who he is. By the way, there's, there's an implication here, and we'll get to this later on in our series through Moses. You need, you need to tell your kids and grandkids what God's done in your life. God intends for you to do that. God intended for the, the Israelites to tell their children and their grandchildren what God had done in their lives. Like, they're supposed to repeat this story again and again and again. Well, God tells Moses... After Moses feels like he's failed, God reminds him, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. So Moses goes to the Israelites, and he says, guys, here's what God said. In, ch in chapter 6 of Exodus, verse 9, it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. Have you ever asked yourself, why don't some people listen to the gospel? I think there's actually a bunch of reasons for that. Um, the Bible tells us that we all have different conditions to our heart. Um, some people are so steeped in sin. Some people are so wrapped up in idolatry. Some people ha ha have, have valued the wrong things for so long 
that it's hard for them to hear the gospel. It's hard for them to be impressed with Jesus, okay? Others are, are, are blinded by their own pride or their, or their, own, their own resistance to, to getting out of their sin. Uh, I talked to a guy this week, and, and he wants Jesus. He, wants, he actually wants to be baptized, but he just flat out tells me, I will not give up this sin. I won't give it up. If, if, it, if it means I'm not going forward with Jesus and I'm not going to be baptized, I will not give that up. Man, it breaks my heart. We've, we've had 20 pleading conversations. He says, no. He keeps saying, I want Jesus. Yes, I want, but, but I won't give that up. There's lots of reasons why people resist the good news of the gospel. But I, I want you to notice the one that's given here. In, in chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. Do you think it's possible that some people, some people don't embrace the good news of the gospel because their life has been so hard? Their, 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 their struggles have been so great that they just can't imagine that there's a God who really loves them. That there's a God who, who really stepped out of the heavens into human flesh to be born as a man and to live the perfect life and to die on the cross to pay for their sins. They, their, their life has been so broken that they just can't imagine that there's a God who would forgive them for all of that, that there's a God who would put his own righteousness in their account. They just can't imagine that for them there could be an adoption into his family and an inheritance in heaven. Their brokenness just keeps them from believing it. That breaks my heart to think about that. But that's where Israel's at right now. And so does it make sense why God is waiting? You see, they don't yet trust him, do they? You know, in, in chapter 4, verse 31, when Moses first came to them, when he first came to the Israelites and said, Guys, God appeared to me. This is what he said. This is what he's going to do. You remember what verse 31 says? That the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that, they had seen, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. You see, initially there was a, okay, really? Well, what happened? As soon as things got hard, it fell away. The Bible talks about that. In Matthew 13, it talks about the parable of the soils and Jesus describes uh, some people's hearts as being rocky. And what he means by that is there, there's not much soil there. For, for the gospel to take root in. He, he says in, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Maybe that's been you. Maybe a long time ago you, you, you heard the gospel and you were super excited about it. And you received it with joy, but then things got hard. Maybe your life kind of fell apart. Things got difficult, and you began to think just what Moses thought. You began to think just what the Israelites thought. Well, I guess it's not going to happen. I guess this is not real. I, 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 guess, I guess God really isn't going to do it. That, that's, that's a shallow heart. What? What do you need this morning? You need exactly what the children of Israel needed. They needed to see God's glory. They need to see it again and again and again. I'm praying that's what's happening in your life right now. For the Israelites, they needed to see God 
bring his mighty hand of judgment upon the greatest nation of their day. Again and again and again, showing his glory to bring them out. Man, I'm praying that God is doing that same thing in you. That God is showing his glory. He's, he's revealing his power and his love for you. And you need to see it again and again and again. One of the beautiful things about this little section here is what happens in chapter 6, verse 14. You're, I bet there's a lot of you who have never read verses 14 through um, 30. You know why I bet there's a lot of you who have never read that? Maybe you're a person who reads through your whole Bible every year. That's awesome. But I bet a lot of you haven't read verses 14 through 30. Because you know what it is? It's one of those sections with a bunch of names. Huh? Huh? Have you ever come across them in the Scripture and you're like, what in the world, you know? Why is that? I had somebody tell me this week, why is that there, you know? Like, why do we need to know that, you know? Is it to help you with picking baby names, you know? Because nobody picks these, you know? I've, I've never known an Ohad or a Jackin or a Zohar or a, what else in here? How about an Amram? How about that? Or how about Ishar? Yaziel? Molly? You know, any, any, there's lots of choices there. Why is, why is that there? Well, let's, let's remember the flow of this, okay? God appears to Moses. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to deliver them, right? And then he reminds them again. He reminds them. He says, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And then, get it, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. Then he lists their names, isn't that wonderful? He lists their names. I don't know if you've ever seen your name on a list. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Depends on what the list is, right? But like, like if you make the team, it's great to see I'm in this. There's me. In this case, it's their families. And I love this reality that, that God reminds them, I will do this. And I'll do it for these names. These are the heads of the father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok and Palu and Hezron and Carmi. And they're hearing their names. And God is saying, this is for you. My promise is for you. My riches is for you. He writes their names. Now, did you know there's another book not, not this one. There's another book that the Bible talks about. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And would you believe my name is there? It's there. How do I know that? It's because the Bible says that if you repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, your name is written there. And what does that mean to have your name there? It means that all of God's I wills I will, I will, I will, I will. Those are all for you. Those are for you. God says, I will deliver these people. And he did. And God says to those who are his, I will give you all that I've promised in my son Jesus. And then he's written your name in the book. If your name's not in that book, I just want to encourage you, it can be today. What do you got to do? Trust and obey. 
trust and obey? Would you just trust him that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do everything he promised he would do and he'll do it for you, okay? Now, I'm not talking about a superficial trust where you, you, you sort of are in, but then as soon as things get hard, then you're smacking your fist down and saying, well, God, I guess it's not. No, no, no. I'm talking about the real deal. I'm talking about where you're like, God, I believe you. No matter what's in the immediate future, I believe you're going to do everything you said you'd do. You're going to do it for me. Trust him today. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that you would help us to trust you even when things seem to get worse, even when trials come, when struggles come. God, I pray that you would give us faith to hold on to your promises, to hold on to your truth, to hold on to what you've said. God, help us to trust you. God, I pray that each person here today, that their name would be written in your book. God, I pray for that man that I've been talking with. God, I pray that he would let go of his sin, God, and that he would embrace you. He would trust you. God, give him faith. Give others here today faith. In Jesus' name, amen.